What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, oh, the weather outside is frightful. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And uh, we're going to pick up our conversation about climate change and what is, what could we possibly do about it to help mitigate it? Or, or because in the previous episode we talked a lot about how um, global warming is real. Yep. And that it could have detrimental effects on everything stuff. Yeah. In the future. Yeah. And that it's being somewhat powered by the stuff what we do. Yes. In other words, people are causing a rapid acceleration of a the, more rapid acceleration <laughs> a more rapid acceleration of the warming trend of the earth and therefore uh we could uh we could be in some uh, deep water no oh. for realsies because of sea level rises uh so we wanted to talk about what we could possibly do to help um address this well um so people are talking uh, are having this public discussion about uh whether humans are actually causing 
climate change. Uh, let's assume this argument just does not get resolved enough to stop us from adding more and more carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. And or that the way that society works, it's really hard for us to cut our dependency on things that create carbon dioxide emissions. Yeah, like cars, power. Yeah, I I like electricity a lot myself, personally. All all those things, yeah, they add to the problem. So uh, what happens if we get way down in that hole? Is there any way for us to get out all right, so this is a great question to ask because uh, I have seen in the past uh, people who were either climate change deniers, if you want to use that term, or they were they didn't deny that climate change was happening, but they denied that there was anything realistic that we would do because uh, they didn't want the impact for it to be, you know, a negative economic impact or a negative impact to lifestyle. In other words, they didn't want their lives to be compromised by the fact that there's this massive thing going on. So they said, I'm not worried because science will fix it. Technology will will fix it. (laughs) There's also a little bit of research that's been done into the economics of climate change and global warming. And and people have said that in developed countries at any rate – the innovations needed to deal with the warming weather will create um, more jobs and more money well, and in those specific areas. There's also the economic yeah. argument about how developed countries can have the luxury of investing in technologies that would remove a dependence upon carbon-emitting uh, technologies, whereas developing countries would not necessarily have that same luxury. And denying an entire huge segment of the world's population access to the same sort of comforts that we enjoy in other parts of the world seems harsh. When you Remember that carbon contains a lot, you know, you, you can get a lot of energy out of carbon. In fact, that's why we depend upon it so much. So to tell an entire huge part of the world, hey guys, I know you're not where we are right now and you would really like to be able to, I don't know, eat and stuff, but stop using this thing that has all this power in it and, uh, and, and deal with that. That's, that's a, a difficult reality, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so a lot of people, they think, well, Maybe we can turn to some sort of like uh, crazy solutions to reverse engineer the problem. Right. So, for example, carbon capture. I've heard of that. Yeah. So carbon capture and sequestration. What What is that? Is that where you, you get like a, a net and you uh, and uh, Frankie at, Avalon throw it at a bunch of coal? Oh, different Annette. Sorry. No. <laughs> uh, I thought we were doing a beach blanket bingo thing here for a second. No, it's not where you get a net and you capture carbon and you drag it off kicking and screaming. Uh, it really is talking about putting in systems in uh, in places where a lot of carbon dioxide gets released into the atmosphere normally. So things like power plants. You know, anything that's like a coal fire- firing power plant would be an example. To capture the CO2 being uh, given off in that, w- in that system uh, which could be a different approach depending upon the actual system you're talking about. Uh, in some cases, you might get almost pure CO2 being emitted depending upon, again, what, what it's coming from, in which case capture would be a little easier. Uh, if the CO2 is actually in a mixture, then you have to figure out how you're going to deal with all of this. But the idea is that you capture that, you then put it someplace where it's not going to get into the atmosphere. And the two big choices of just capturing it and then putting it somewhere else are either to pump it into the uh, the ocean deep into the ocean like deep undersea 
or underground. And by underground, I mean you know, hundreds of meters underground. You're, you're trying to uh, pump CO2 into a porous uh, rock formation that hopefully has a non-porous formation above it, which will block the CO2 from filtering back up. And the CO2 will become trapped underground. Uh, there's actually room for gigatons of CO2 underground in this way. And in fact, this is a technology that oil companies already use when they're exploring for oil. They'll pump CO2 down in order to try and find oil deposits. So the technology, the basic technology to do this is already there. It's not being used in this application, but the actual tech exists. Uh, but, but wouldn't putting a whole crap ton, that's the scientific term, of CO2 down into a place that didn't already have it change? Well, if you're talking about a strata under the earth that's hundreds of meters below, it's going to change things in a way that doesn't really affect us in any way. It's the same sort of thing as if you were to find a natural gas deposit or something. So if we're talking about the ocean, we're actually, there are some concerns here, obviously. For one thing, uh, in our last podcast, we discussed the fact that CO2 and seawater uh, can combine in a way that ends up lowering the pH of seawater. So pumping a lot of CO2 into the ocean could end up affecting the pH levels of at least the region around wherever it is you're pumping the, the CO2 into. That has a uh, potential for affecting an entire ecosystem under the water. So obviously that is something that would have to be studied in depth before we were to roll that out on any kind of wide-scale basis because you don't want to end up removing CO2 from the atmosphere, pump it into the ocean, and just create a brand new set of problems. So uh, that's one possibility. Uh, I think that the one about essentially shoving it underground is something that could, at, at least in theory, take some of the burden of CO2 emissions uh, out of the picture. Although, obviously, we don't have a way of doing that for things like personal vehicles, you know, we, we were talking about these massive plants and manufacturing facilities. That would be a big benefit, but it's only part of the equation. Can I ask a question? Sure, go ahead. This process sounds energy intensive, <laughs> especially if we're already – what we're trying to do is offset the carbon we're putting into the atmosphere creating energy. It, well, at least the pumping not creating the, but, the know, pumping converting. part certainly would require its own energy. I mean, capturing is you could you could potentially create a mostly passive system to capture CO two, but it wouldn't. You know, I, I would imagine a powered system would be more efficient. But uh, when you're talking about pumping CO two under the ground, that's going to require energy. So you have to figure that out exactly. You know, you can't. Are you just going to have a, a massive petroleum burning generator that's <laughs> that, that's just releasing more CO two into the atmosphere while you're pumping. Now, granted, you know, you're talking about different scales here, too. The amount of CO2 emitted by a, you know, like a power company, coal-burning plant, is way higher than... For uh, a pump. Than a, yeah, a pump. Exactly. So, um, you know, you're looking at a scale, you're talking about reducing CO2 emissions. You're certainly not talking about eliminating them. But that's, that's one suggestion of using technology to try and fight this off. But there are a couple of other... Uh, uh, ideas, you know, like, like, what's this geoengineering thing I see on our outline, Joe? Geoengineering. Um, there's, there's a from, lot of exciting stuff in this one. Oh boy, some root words. Uh, okay, so if y'all like 
the the plots the bad guys come up with in James Bond movies. Oh, do I? You'll like geoengineering. I don't look like Blofeld for you know just out of. Oh, you, know, you do look like Blofeld. Yeah. I never even thought of that. I don't. Yeah, you they, look like Donald Pleasance. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but between uh, between aggravating James Bond to being chased by Michael Myers, my book is full. Double seven. Mm, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you've got one about sorry. about reforestry, I believe. Re- well, see, that's a tough one. Okay, so there are all these ideas about how we could make major changes to the planet Earth that would help offset the either the heating effects of of global warming or the uh, the atmospheric carbon situation that causes mm-hmm. it. Or mm-hmm. in a few that I'm going to talk about, the the radiation itself that's reaching the Earth. Yeah. Um, so to one way or another change the planet to help offset the bad effects of this or to keep it from happening in the first place. Um, and, and these say, well, okay, so we know there's going to be a lot of carbon out there, so just what are we going to do about it? One idea has to do with plants. Okay, so forests and uh, plants, they create energy by photosynthesis. So they take in carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and nutrients from the soil and energy from the sunlight, and they use all that to turn that carbon into plant matter. Right. Um, and they, they create cellulose and... Release and oxygen. And st- yeah, and so... So um, wait, this sounds great. So it's taking all the carbon out and it's releasing so, oxygen. Where's the problem? Some people have said, hey, I know. Uh, we'll use this kind of principle, this plant-based principle in the ocean. And this is this idea of uh, ocean fertilization. Have you heard of this? Pray tell. What is this ocean <laughs> fertilization that you... I would like to talk about ocean fertilization by way of anecdote. <sighs> I was hoping for parable. All right, go ahead. Okay, so uh, there is a Guardian article from 2012 uh-huh. uh, that tells the story of an American businessman from California named Russ George. Um and he had an idea. He said, oh, okay, well, plankton like iron. Okay. Um, a lot of iron in the water, uh, they use this as a nutrient. They gobble it up and the populations bloom. Well, so they are photosynthetic. And that means plankton absorb carbon dioxide like trees do. The idea of ocean fertilization is you put the iron in the water, um, the plankton gobble it up, they gobble up CO2, they die, and then they take the CO2 to the bottom of the ocean with them when they sink. Right. So that's sort of like a natural way of like sequestering the carbon dioxide. Yeah, getting so, rid of it, putting it somewhere else. Yeah, they, they put it in their bodies, they sink to the bottom, and then they've got it down there. Out of our hair, right? Well, <laughs> it turns out it's not that simple. So Mr. Russ George, uh, he went off the west coast of Canada and dumped about a hundred tons of iron sulfate in the water, according to this article. That sounds like a lot. Yeah, um, and it spawned a plankton bloom as large as ten thousand square kilometers. Um, now you may have heard before of uh, blooms in the water being related to actually not so wonderful effects. Oh well, yeah. anytime that you're changing an ecosystem like that, if you've got too much of something at the bottom of the food chain, what's that going to do to the rest of it. Yeah, th- there are all kinds of questions about whether this, uh, well, number one, whether it's safe, and number two, whether it even works in the first place. So right. scientists are still not sure whether this iron fertilization process will actually keep the carbon locked and sequestered at the bottom of the ocean or if it's only a temporary thing 
And then also they raised all these, uh, you know, concerns about how it affects ecosystems in the water, about how it can produce um, chemicals in the water that are toxic and, you know, So in other words, you're doing more in. harm than good. Yeah, and in fact, I think some people think that this can actually worsen global warming. In fact, Nature, the Journal of Science, Nature, yeah. uh, published a paper about how ocean fertilization should be completely abandoned. They published that back in 2009. Mm. <laughs> and uh, in fact, uh, I can I can quote a little bit from it. It says, <clears throat> it is already commonly accepted that ocean iron fertilization should not be rushed into as a mitigation strategy. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change regards it as supported by neither appropriate assessment of environmental side effects nor a clear institutional framework for implementation. Similarly, last year, two United Nations conventions passed re- resolutions restricting large-scale ocean iron fertilization activities, citing concerns about the environmental risks and lack of a scientific basis on which to justify such activities, concerns that have been recognized for some time. A Royal Society report released this month emphasized that the technique has a relatively small capacity to absorb carbon and comes with, quote, probably deleterious ecological consequences, end quote. Yeah, so uh, uh, here's our first major geoengineering scheme. Uh Thumbs down. Yeah, thumbs down. I think I think uh, I think I gotta go with nature on this one. Well, I've got a I've got a question. Okay. Um, so if the Earth is getting hotter, maybe we can't do anything about the carbon. Maybe it's just gonna be there and it's gonna trap this. You know, so radiation comes down, it comes back up, but it doesn't escape the atmosphere. What if we could reduce the amount of radiation coming in in the first place? Right. There are a bunch of ways that scientists, mad or not, are trying to solve that problem. There's there's a the concept of cloud reflectivity or cloud brightening, which says that and and no one's really sure exactly what effect clouds have on climate right now in terms of I mean, because they're they're going to reflect some light from the sun, but they also do absorb some of the radiation coming back up from the earth. So. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, is it a net loss? Is it is it uh, just a do you break even? And we're not question about that. And we're not sure, but there's a concept that if we can create more low reflective clouds, that that could be awesome. Um, One idea for this is that we could uh, get these boats out onto the ocean that are shooting seawater and therefore uh, salt high into the air creating large, bright clouds with the help of the salt because adding uh, particles to the air creates more smaller water droplets, which creates clouds with a greater surface area for reflecting sunlight. Um, I mean, you know, we could we could even put wind-powered boats out there that would drag propellers through the water to generate the electricity to create the spray. So other than creating the boats, this could be a pretty green adventure. I just imagine all these fish flying up into the atmosphere. <laughs> Like that poor frog no, in that NASA they, photo. They'd be collected in a grate of some kind. <laughs> More <laughs> sushi for me. I, it's just called a killing floor. There's really a sluice there. Yeah, it's <laughs> more of a grate. <laughs> um, however, this could potentially lead to drought in areas uh, downwind if if you because these clouds would be more rain resistant than normal clouds, and so therefore it it might be bad for already drought. 
potential areas. Gotcha. So again, another another potential solution that could end up having unintended negative consequences. Absolutely. And and since we're not sure about cloud's role and everything in the first place, it's a pretty big question mark right now. Sure. Um, now, I had mentioned salt in the air helping create these reflective clouds. That's technically an aerosol, which are which is just solid particles of matter in the air. And now different aerosols can reflect or absorb sunlight. We talked about this in the previous podcast, I believe. You know, for example, carbon tends to absorb radiation and keep it in Earth's atmosphere, whereas things like sulfates and nitrates will reflect. So there's an idea to inject sulfates into the stratosphere to provide more of that reflection. Um, there's there's a lot of potential here. According to NASA, models estimate that aerosols have had a cooling effect that has counteracted about half of the warming caused by the buildup of greenhouse gases since the 1880s, which is significant. However, you know, there's, you know, a, okay, a model from the University of Washington in 2012 said that this will never fully offset climate change. And furthermore, the idea of just tossing stuff up into the air could have serious, I mean, obviously could have serious impacts on your ecology. If you have, if you have chemicals combining in ways that you had not anticipated, then you could end up with things like, you know, acid rain, that kind of stuff. Or certainly different rain, rain that perhaps a environment is not used to. Sure. Um, there's another one, and this is my favorite, and that is space mirrors. Okay, so. Mirrors in space. So like a compact for the Earth. Or or I'm I'm really picturing this is the most James Bondy of of all of these, I think. Okay. Um and well, okay, so, so also kind of Mr. Burnsy. Yes. I think Mr. Burns is really a failed Bond villain. If yeah. only he could cross cross platforms there. Um now scientists have estimated that you'd only have to deflect about one percent of incoming solar radiation to completely offset climate change. Okay. That wow. sounds cool. Um, right. Except for the part where that would require maybe 600,000 square miles of mirror. Or many mirrors, uh, right. put together, which, which is a bunch and probably expensive. There, there are two different leading ideas for space mirrors right now. One is to launch, um, launch one out in between the Earth and the Sun at a gravitationally stable point about, uh, four times away from Earth as the Earth is to the moon. If that okay. just made sense, okay. yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and the other is to create a network of steerable mirrors in orbit around the equator. Gotcha. Mm. So, it, so it'd be like a a swarm of mirrors. It, it would be like a like a ring, like we would have our own ring around the planet. Yeah. A a this is this is a huge, expensive project, and B especially that that ring of mirrors could create some really weird weather effects. Um, uneven global temperature changes causing droughts in some places, like, for example, the Americas and northern Eurasia, which yeah. happens to be where a lot of things get grown. So, yeah. So, uh, well, hey, 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 I got I got a solution for you guys. Nanotechnology. Put a period okay. in it. We are yeah. done. I, I love how nanotechnology is the solution of everything. It's a magic was, wand, isn't oh, it? Oh, you know, in the future, they'll they'll cue they'll they'll cue they'll cure chronic elbow pain with nanotechnology. Hey, hey, nanorobots know. in my blood are going to do that. So they might. So nanotechnology is it's a legitimate field. So even though we're joking right now, it is very much a legitimate field, and there's some amazing science coming out of it. But uh, again, I think some people point to nanotechnology like it's a, a, a cure-all. It automatically somehow knowing how to make very, very tiny things will solve all of our scientific problems. It, it's like 
it's like people use the idea of quantum in like science fiction or yeah. like healing or, or something. Just, it's or just, just using, kind of or just using the polarity, or yeah. or just using the word science. But you say, so is this for real? Nanotech for Na- nanotech for real can give us very helpful ways of uh, of of dealing with this situation. But Tell us how. So nanotechnology is a platform. It's not. It's or it's not just a platform. It's not just like. Nanotechnology is, you know, you wouldn't go into a, a scientific laboratory and just see a big vet that says nanotechnology and like, ah, oh, I need some of that. Uh, no, we're actually talking about making improvements to existing technologies through the discoveries we make in nanotechnology. For example, solar cells. So one of the issues we have with solar cells, you know, these are, of course, the, the cells that we use in solar panels to collect solar energy and convert it into electricity. One of the problems you have is efficiency. How much of that uh, energy are you actually harnessing and being able to t- convert into electricity? Usually tends to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 20%. You know, you have laboratory conditions that can get up higher than that, but in general, you they're they're pretty low. So that means you're you're losing 80% of that energy. Uh and that's one of the arguments against using solar energy in various applications, saying that it would be more expensive than alternatives. There's a higher startup cost, it's not as efficient, then you have all these other issues you have to worry about. Well, nanotechnology is one of those things that has taught us a lot about nanostructures and the way that light behaves in nanostructures. And by designing specific nanostructures, we can actually direct more light down to hit the solar cell, so you lose less of it in reflection. And and that way you can make the solar panels more efficient. So by making that more efficient, you make it a more viable alternative to fossil fuels. So that would take some of the demand from fossil fuels off and put it into a renewable energy source. Ah, uh, now I feel like you're talking in a uh, in a more feasible kind oh, of... Right. Well, when you say something like material science, that's a little bit more, I, you know, on, yeah. on, on, on similar terms, if you, so if you have better roads, then all cars, whether they're electric or not, are going to be more energy efficient. But the, you know, creating the infrastructure to create better roads requires a lot of cement. Cement is really energy inefficient to create. So if we could build a better cement. Exactly. Or you could use nanotechnology again to design lighter but strong materials and build vehicles out of that. That means you need less fuel to move those vehicles around. So again, this is one of those things where nanotechnology can help in sort of an indirect way, but they can make, you know, that, that discipline can help make other technologies more efficient and uh, and less let put less of a burden on us when it comes to energy. So this brings it full circle for me because I think uh, it sounds like well maybe we could do something with carbon sequestration, uh, carbon capture and sequestration that maybe, might help. Yeah. Maybe um, most of these other plans sound kind of mad scientist, not very feasible. Maybe making things worse. What's the real way to deal with this? Bottom line, it's you got to go back to the stuff we've already heard about. I mean, that's what seems like it's going to work: reducing and and re- and relying on yeah. yeah, reducing your your consumption in general and relying on alternatives to fossil fuels in general as well. So right. those would be the two main things, right? Is reduce your consumption and and shift as much of your consumption to renewable forms of energy as you possibly can, like just your average 
electronics are consuming power even when you're not using them. Yeah, unplugging your television can have a huge effect on your power bill and also on your... Just energy consumption, mm-hmm. yeah. because stuff you've heard a million times before, turn your lights off when you leave the house, just you know, walk places when you can or ride a bicycle. Mm-hmm. That's, and well, we've, yeah. done, we've done full podcasts on a few of these topics, so uh, right. we'll, we'll try to we'll try to link them up when this publishes. But you know, I mean, or or we talked a few weeks ago about food. Um, you know, ve- vegetarian eating and the effect that you know meat has a huge carbon footprint. Sure, footprint. Sure. Uh, well, you know what? There's one thing we didn't talk about, which are the idea of uh, carbon credits and carbon oh, credit yeah. economies. So is this, this is going to work. Well, we should explain what okay, it is. Okay, so so essentially, what what's happening here is that here here's the problem from an economic standpoint. At least this is what some people would argue. They would argue that it costs less money to depend upon fossil fuels than it would to shift to an alternative. At least initially, you might be able to argue in the long term that you would have a benefit, but that's a tough sell for any company. But, well, the alternatives are new technology now, so they're. More expensive. They're more expensive, and some would argue unproven. Some would say they're not efficient, so that would cause other changes in production. Uh, it would mean possibly passing the costs down to you, uh, so that essentially, uh, the, ultimately, the consumer ends up footing the bill for whatever the changes are. There Which are a lot of arguments sell. against it. Yeah, yeah, it is a hard sell. Well, carbon credits. The idea is to make it less of uh, give give less incentive to using carbon when you are. A giant company, like a manufacturing company. So basically the idea is you put a cap on how much carbon you are allowed to release into the environment in a given year. Uh, you have a certain amount and beyond that you are not allowed to go. So you have to figure out how to work within that cap. If you absolutely have to do business beyond – like if your business requires that you're going to have to emit more carbon than what you are allowed, you can then purchase the right – to emit carbon, or you can trade depending upon the way the the uh, economy is set up. But the idea is that at auction you could purchase carbon emission uh, allocations. You could you could be allowed to emit a certain amount of carbon for a certain amount of money. Uh, the government, in turn, would take the revenue generated from these these auctions and pour that into research and development for clean energy alternatives uh, and trying to do some sort of public good with that money. In theory, anyway, that's what would happen. So the idea is that economically you would have the incentive to move away from carbon because if you stayed with it, you'd have to start paying for it. And uh, one way or another, you would either have to ramp down production so that you worked within the parameters that were given to you or you'd have to pay money so that you work within the ones you were accustomed to. Either way, it's an incentive for you to move off of that and find some alternative. Uh, the whether it works or not, that's a good question because in the United States, it's been struck down every time it's come up. Uh, it's one of those things where uh, it, it requires it requires uh, legislation with teeth in it. You have to have the authority to say, like, if you're doing business within this country, these are the rules you have to follow. And if you don't do that, if you just make it a suggestion, then obviously very few companies it will adopt that if it means that it would affect the bottom line. So, uh, you know, does, would it work? There's some question about whether or not it would be a, a huge benefit, but it would at least in, give an incentive to companies to try and explore alternatives while theoretically also pouring more money from the government into 
uh, sustainable, clean energy alternatives. Uh, a lot of the arguments I've read are that the private industry just, it's just not enough to, to allow for these clean energy alternatives to really get a strong foothold, in part because the United States government, along with other governments, subsidizes fossil fuels. So with fossil fuels getting a subsidy, then they already have an advantage. And so you, you know, you're playing against a stacked deck. So that's that's the general idea. Now, I think personally that a carbon credit economy set up fairly, you know, the way it was intended to be and uh, uh, with the added incentive to move into more clean energy would at least be a good way to transition, um, uh, particularly for a developed nation. Uh, and we discussed earlier, it's it's complicated issue because you can't just demand that the entire world shifts to this when there are large parts of the world that are struggling for basic uh, supplies that all the rest of us just tend to take for granted. Uh, it's it's a very complicated issue, but I think that this sort of thing would really help. I just, unfortunately, I don't think that carbon credit is something we're going to see, at least in the United States, anytime really soon. I just think that it's too hard to sell politically to have it happen. Um, so that that's kind of where we get a lot of people saying, you know, we're hoping that technology can help get us out of this because I don't see another way that's going to happen anytime soon. So fun times. You guys want to add anything happy and, and silly before I go? Any any mole reptilians that we need to talk about? I think RoboCop could help. Okay, RoboCop. So I think Nano RoboCop could help. Nano RoboCop. Yeah. So we have to go to Nano Detroit. Yeah. All right. So we'll go to Nano Detroit and go to the Nano Wonder Bread Factory that's been turned into a Nano Casino. And uh, we'll we'll get help there. No, no, I, I think I think that all of this is. I mean, we've talked about some things that that are not going to work probably ever. But the fact that people are thinking about it and putting research into it is absolutely val- valuable. Even even if only to prove that yes, you should turn the lights off in your room when you leave it. All right, so guys, if you have any comments you would like to share, or you just want to join the conversation, go to fwthinking.com. That's the website where we've got all the blog posts, podcasts, videos, articles. Uh, you can join the conversation there, or you can let us know what you think on social media. You can find us at Twitter and Facebook and Google+. Plus. Just search for FW Thinking. You'll find us there. We want to hear from you, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.